is the Listening Lawyers podcast presented by Solutions Law Firm. We believe that all people deserve equal access to our justice system, as well as zealous, compassionate advocacy from a knowledgeable attorney, regardless of the background or previous experiences of our clients. We focus on the integral well-being of the individual, family, and community as a whole by truly listening to each client and developing an individualized plan of advocacy specific to his or her situation and concerns. Through this process, we strive to strengthen our community and offer hope to people in trying situations. As Solutions Law Firm, we believe in compassion, collaboration, and equal access to exceptional legal services. Hi, everybody. This is Stella Roder here, and I'm with Don Hernandez. Thanks for tuning in with us today for our second podcast ever. We're really excited. Today, we're going to talk about mediation and collaborative divorce. There are two topics that aren't new by any means, but not everybody realizes they exist. Would you agree with that, Don? Oh, I would absolutely agree with that, Stella. And I think even when people know that they exist, they don't really know what they are or what they mean or the several different ways that they can be used, especially with mediation. It's not a one size fits all. And there are lots of different times when you can use that within different case types. Yeah, absolutely. So one little tidbit that I thought we could start with, perhaps, is that mediation in Iowa, anyway, mediation is required for all family law divorce cases. And I think some people when I when I tell my clients that in the past, they're like, why? We can figure this out ourselves. Why? Why does Iowa think we have to do this? And people, I don't know if you've experienced this, but some people they get, um, I think they dread mediation or they I don't know if I want to say fear it but it's not something that they look forward to and I hope if anything today Don and I can really hit home that this is actually something that's really beneficial and it's in everybody's best interest it's nothing to be afraid of because really one of the reasons Iowa requires mediation is that it allows people, the parties, the people who not just going through divorce, but then have to live in a world post-divorce with an agreement that decides many aspects of their life. Like that's the thing. If people can't come to an agreement on their own, we have a judge that can decide and that's part of the system. And I think it's a really, you know, it's a good thing to have. But if you think about it, who do you want deciding your life? Because everything that goes into a divorce decree, it's not just a divorce and you're done. It's a divorce and you have to live by these new sets of rules. And mediation allows both parties, whether you want the divorce or or, are part of the divorce because your spouse wants the divorce, it allows both of you to come to an agreement that you're comfortable with, or at least more comfortable with, and that you've had a say. Yeah, Stella, you know, one thing that I've experienced a lot with my clients as they're going through divorce or trying to figure out a new custody agreement, anything like that, where there's really conflict within their family and they're trying to make a decision is they really have the same view. Everyone has the exact same view of what the process will look like. We're going to start it. We're going to try to agree on our own. If we don't agree on our own, then we're going to have to go to court and fight. And we're going to have to bring out all the dirty laundry and we're going to be dirty and we're going to be mean. And then the judge is going to tell us what we get. And they don't seem to understand that there's so much in between those two things. And one of the really important things between those two, between a perfect agreement that we all get to all on our own without any trouble or fighting it out in court in front of a judge is mediation. And really the purpose of mediation is to look at the two parties, let's say in a divorce and say, you know what? 
you guys have done so well. You've come to an agreement on three out of four things. We've still got the fourth thing that we can't agree on. So let's set up an environment in a situation where both parties can be heard, where we can really focus on needs and the underlying attitudes and reasons for why we're holding on so hard to each position that's opposed to the other side, why we're willing to keep fighting over this and see if that way we can come up with a better understanding of each other, a better understanding of what the end result will look like, a better understanding of each person's priorities and their ultimate desires and what they're hoping to attain through this process so that we can keep some of that control. You know, once you go to trial, the judge has the control. And that's what I explain to my clients all the time. Yes, the law stipulates what you are entitled to and what your spouse is entitled to. And a judge will follow the law and will give you what you're entitled to and will not give you what you're not entitled to. So there is a little bit of, of an ability to go into trial knowing what you're kind of likely to come out with, if that makes sense. But at the same time, at the end of the day, the judge has all the control. And you have to try to be persuasive. You have to be willing sometimes to talk about things you otherwise wouldn't. And the whole process of trial can sometimes be much more painful at the end of the day than the tiny little thing you were fighting about in the first place ends up being in, in the whole big, long story of your life, right? And so I tell them, why are we giving that control to the judge? Does the judge know you better than you know you? Does the judge know your children and their needs? Does the judge know your soon-to-be ex-spouse better than you do? Does the, is the judge going to be there on a day-to-day -day basis for the next 15 years until your three-year-old graduates from high school helping you manage the day-to-day? -day? Of course not. Are the legislators, are the people who wrote the code, are the previous judges who figured out the case law? None of those people are going to be there. If you and yeah. your spouse are at odds, you're still the ones who are best situated to come to an agreement here. So mediation provides a really great framework for doing that with low conflict where both parties can be heard and you can really boil down to what the real issues are underneath the arguments. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I consider the cold side of the law. You know, these laws are here for our protections in, in the long run, whether or not we agree with them. But the truth of the matter is, just like you said, Dawn, the legislators, well, they live with the laws that they make. Yes, absolutely. But in this case with a the divorce, they're not the ones going through it with you. And the judge who's going to make the decision, he or she doesn't have to live with it the way you and your spouse. And if you have children, your children have to live with it. So mediation, yes, it's required. But don't think about it as a requirement because it's in your best interest. You you have the control, like Don said, you have the chance to be heard. You have a chance to be heard in the courtroom, but it's different. You get to be heard in a different way. You get to be heard without the rules of evidence. You get to be heard like, no, I don't understand. Please explain that more. Or you have the chance to be asked questions that you might not be asked on, in a courtroom. I know you want this particular piece of property. Why? Why is it so important? It'd be better for both of us if we sell or any type of example that you can come up with. And that's really, I think, one of the major benefits of mediation is you're heard in a way that you feel heard. And there's a difference there, right? Like you'll be oh, heard in, in a court of law, most likely through your attorney, but you'll walk away from mediation having felt heard. Yes, absolutely. And you know, one thing that I use, I use an example 
that was given to me during my training to become a mediator. Shout out to Chris Crilly out at Crilly Mediation Services. But this has stuck with me ever since and I use it with my clients and it's the, the analogy of the orange. Um, let's say you're a mom and your daughter comes in and says, mom, can I have that last orange? And your son comes in and says, no, I want that last orange. Now in a courtroom, if you're a judge, you're gonna look at that and say, both kids want the orange. They're both entitled to the orange. There's only one orange. We're gonna cut the orange in half and give half to the daughter and half to the son. Now everybody has half of an orange. Now both daughter and son walk away super frustrated because nobody listened to what they wanted. What was the goal? Now in mediation, as opposed to telling daughter and son, you each get half an orange. That's what you're legally entitled to take it and walk away. We say, okay, daughter, in a room by yourself where brother doesn't have to hear, what are you planning on doing with this orange? And she says, oh, well, I was just gonna squeeze out all the juice. I need exactly one orange worth of juice for a cake I'm gonna bake. Cool, okay, great. Son, in another room where sister can't hear, what are you planning on doing with this orange? Oh, I just needed the peel. I'm gonna grate it up and I've got this other, I've got these muffins that I'm gonna make that need grated orange peel. Huh, interesting. So daughter needs one whole orange worth of juice. Son needs one whole orange worth of peel neither of them need the entire entire orange now we can give the daughter all of the juice and the son all of the peel and they're both whole everybody's they both have happy exactly what they wanted yes everyone's happy nobody loses but if you went to a courtroom a judge is not going to ask that question it's gonna look what's equitable. going to look equitable and what's equitable is half an orange to son half, half an, an orange half. to daughter Exactly. But you can both get the whole orange. You can both reach your goals, but you've got to have that conversation. And mediation sets up the framework to have those conversations with as minimal conflict and distraction and argument and emotion as possible. So maybe now's a good time to talk about what mediation looks like. Yes, I was just going to say that because you started to talk about it when you mentioned talking with daughter in one room and son in the other room. How, how does mediation actually take place, Dawn? So that kind of depends on the jurisdiction. And even within the state of Iowa, depending on which court district you are in, the practice is going to be somewhat different. But there are two basic ways of doing it. One is with everybody in the same room, and the other one is with people in separate rooms. Now, Stella and I practice primarily out of Polk County in Iowa. And in our judicial district, we typically have people in separate rooms. And so that's, that's what's most common in our jurisdiction, but that's not what's used everywhere. And it's definitely not mandated. You can do it either way. And so what, the way it typically works for us is your mediator is going to be a completely neutral third party. Your mediator is not attached to either the petitioner or the respondent, not attached to either party, no conflicts there. A lot of mediators are actually attorneys as well. A lot of them aren't. So mediators can come from lots of different professional backgrounds. But the mediator's job is to help facilitate conversation so that the parties can self-determine what their outcome should be based on those conversations about needing orange juice versus orange peels, right? And so in Polk County, we generally have one party in one room and the other party in the other room, and the mediator bounces between parties and kind of talks with them and asks questions and gathers information and helps them to move toward an agreement, helps them to kind of negotiate that agreement. Now in other districts where everyone is in the same room, you'll have both parties in the same room sitting around a table, usually a circle, with the mediator also as a neutral third party. 
but the mediator under those circumstances will facilitate the conversation at the table between the parties. Sometimes just sitting back and letting the parties talk and then asking the pointed questions that they might not be thinking about. Sometimes kind of helping to guide, sometimes reframing when sometimes, you know, I do this a lot in my personal life. If I'm upset, I'll say something without choosing my words carefully, without thinking about how it comes off. And a mediator isn't as emotionally involved. And so he or she is able to kind of sit back and say, what I'm hearing is, and kind of reframe that. So we're back in a healthier space and able to keep that control in the room or in the two rooms as the case may be. Yeah. I think it's important to note that mediators, especially in Iowa, you have to be a trained mediator in order to be the mediator. Makes sense, right? Dawn in our office is a trained mediator. That's my goal in 2021 to become a, a trained mediator. But what is important that in Iowa, you do not have to be a lawyer to be a mediator. And so whether or not the mediator is a lawyer or not, in their role as mediator, they do not give legal advice. Some people, I think, walk in thinking, well, I can do this by myself. And you can. You can absolutely represent yourself in any legal matter. But the, the role of mediator is to truly mediate. They're a neutral third party. They're not invested in it in any way other than wanting to help both parties reach an agreement. So your legal advice will not be coming from the mediator. <laughs> Yes, and that is so important to point out. And, you know, and that can be difficult as the mediator. There have been times where I've been the mediator for a session where one party has an attorney and the other party is pro se or representing themselves. Um, and that can be a really difficult dynamic because one party clearly has an attorney advocating for them who knows the law, knows what they're likely to get in court, knows what the legal basis is for everything that they're asking for and has a lot of that background knowledge and understanding there while the other party doesn't. And that can be hard as a mediator who is also an attorney because sometimes I'm tempted to tell that pro se person, hey, 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 think about this. But that's really not the role of the mediator. It's really not. And so it's very important when you go into mediation to understand the different roles. And if you, if you are comfortable, you know what you want and why you want it, and you feel like you're reasonably able to advocate for yourself, absolutely do it yourself. You don't need to hire representation necessarily. But if you're concerned that you might be pushed to give in an area where you don't want to give, that you might need someone to kind of help you remember what those ultimate goals were that you were working toward. You know, I sometimes can be easily swayed by other people when they start to push really hard. Um, in my personal life, sometimes I can get to the point where I'm like, you know what, just whatever. Whatever, you know? take it. And if you Yes. And if you know you're that kind of a person, it might be wise to have an attorney. If you're, if you're mediating a sensitive issue that's going to have long-term consequences, it might be wise to have an attorney there. Because if you look at the mediator and say, well, what do you think? There's kind of a fine line there. If the mediator is an attorney with some experience in family law, the mediator could say, well, in my experience, if you ask a judge for X, Y, Z, this is what my experience shows as the likely outcome. But that's it. The mediator cannot go any further than that. The mediator cannot say, this is in your best interest, or this is not in your best interest, or have you thought about asking for this? Have you considered this other remedy? They cannot do that. So depending on what you're going to mediation for, 
it might really be in your best interest to hire an attorney to attend with you. And, you know, we've talked about unbundled already in in our first episode. If you haven't heard that, please go back and listen. It's our first episode. So sorry. Um, But sorry for this one also. Um, (laughs) We'll get better. I promise. We will. Yeah. You go back and listen. You know, you can find unbundled attorneys who are willing to represent for just one piece of a process. So even if you've been self-represented all the way through your divorce up until you're ordered to go to mediation, you can find an attorney just to go to mediation with you and do nothing else. You need that support. And so it's really important to remember that all of these things we talk about in our separate episodes work together to give kind of a holistic overview of all the different possibilities that are out there. Processes are not so cut and dry, black and white, yes or no, right? There are lots of So that's really mediation in a nutshell. It's an excellent tool. And like I said before, Don and I, we both hope if, if anything, you walk away from this podcast thinking, okay, that's a good thing because it is. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> mediation is wonderful. We love mediation. <laughs> yes. What we also love is a collaborative divorce. And this might be something that you've never heard of before because it's, again, it's not new. It's been around for a little while, but it's, it's nowhere near as well known as the traditional divorce, I'd, I'd say. And really collaborative divorce, think of it as a process. It's a process that the, the sole purpose outside of getting you divorced is to preserve your emotional and financial resources. It's all about dignity and respect, upholding your dignity, upholding the dignity of your soon-to-be ex and your children, and respecting you guys, all of you, making sure you feel respected, your spouse feels respected, and your children. And also, like, it's about respecting that even though your family dynamic is about to change, and it is, even without children, you're still about to become an ex. And with children, your children are about to have two households. Everything is changing. And it might be a change that you're really wanting and really needing, but it's still a change. And the collaborative process, it really strives to help people think, okay, we're doing this now. Every divorce has, you know, ABC, XYZ that you have to accomplish in order to get a legal divorce. But like we mentioned before with mediation, this is your life. This is the life of your children and you're developing a new dynamic and people who choose to go through the collaborative divorce process, they're setting themselves up for their family dynamic and it's new capacity and it's new way of life to really succeed. Yes. So collaborative divorce is a really beautiful process and it's very similar but also very different from a traditional divorce as stella mentioned all the legal requirements to get a divorce in iowa will still be required you'll still have to file specific documents in a specific order you'll still have the same timelines for service of process and for completion of certain documents all of that stays the same the legal framework does not change but the process for how you get there and the space that you create for yourself to work through it. Yeah, it's completely different. And that starts from the very, very beginning. From the time that you hire your attorney, the collaborative case is different. In that, in order to go through a collaborative divorce, both parties must be represented by attorneys 
And both of those attorneys must be collaboratively trained. So that means if someone comes and consults with me for a divorce and we discuss collaborative divorce as an option and they really like that option and they want to move forward with a collaborative divorce, step number two is to get their spouse on board so that they can go find a collaboratively trained attorney to represent them. And the reason for this is that all parties and attorneys agree from the very beginning in their initial contracts not to litigate, not to go to trial, not to go to court, all parties. And if the collaborative process falls apart, then those attorneys both withdraw and they have to start over. Go ahead, stop. Yeah. So I just want to make sure everybody heard you correctly, Don, because it's like you said, it's from the get go. But notice what you said from the beginning of signing the contract. So you, as a person wanting a divorce, you and your spouse, you not only agree to do a collaborative divorce, you sign a contract. And it's important, like, I don't want to, I don't want to focus on the legalities of a contract, but everything you think about with the contracts goes into play here because, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that divorce can be difficult. Your emotions are involved. Um, you're, there's frustrations. You're, you can feel like you're not being heard at certain points throughout the process. You don't understand why something is so important to your spouse. And then likewise, your spouse doesn't understand what's so important to you. People reach the point where like, we can't decide. We can't decide. I guess we just have to have a judge. No, you don't. And in a collaborative divorce process, you don't get to have a judge. Yes, exactly. You decide from the beginning, both you and your soon-to-be ex-spouse, that you will both be rational and reasonable adults that you will not tear each other down, that you will not be disrespectful, that you will work together to come to an agreement that's in the best interest of your family, and that you will not take this to trial. And making that agreement from the very beginning sets a tone for the whole process. It sets a tone that there is no plan B. There is no one foot outside of this process and one foot in. It's all or nothing. We will all put our whole selves into making this a collaborative process where everyone walks away as healthy as possible from a super traumatic time for most couples. And there is no other option. There is no plan B. That's this it. is it. And we're all fully committed, including the attorneys. The attorneys yes. are not setting up a record for trial in case things fall apart. They're not allowed to they have to withdraw from your case if the collaborative process falls apart. And, and that's a beautiful thing. It really creates this space where everyone has 100% buy-in in mm -hmm. creating as much beauty as possible from the current disaster. And, and that's really great. It's really powerful. Yeah, very powerful. So one of the ways, there are many ways that this is different from a traditional divorce and we've, we've highlighted quite a few of them. But one of the things we haven't talked about yet is that Unlike a traditional divorce, it's not just the husband and wife or the, the parties and their attorneys. There are more people involved. People who choose to go through a collaborative divorce, they work with a team. So there's a collaborative divorce coach. Depending on whether or not there's children, there, there are sometimes child specialists involved. And then there's a financial specialist involved as well. And they each have a role and they each work with both parties individually and together mm -hmm. and they come up with really the best plan for everybody involved yes and so one way to illustrate that is let's say we're working in a collaborative divorce with a couple that has two children so we've got to figure out custody and visitation and child support and then also 
mom has been a stay-at-home mom for eight years and because the agreement with the spouse was that he was going to be the breadwinner as long as she stayed home and took care of the kids and so now she's going to go back out into the workforce but it might take her some time she hasn't developed the job skills that she otherwise would have maybe she hasn't kept up on her education her resume doesn't look amazing and she's going to need a little bit of help getting back on her feet right Instead of the typical process right about that between attorneys and say, well, this is what you should give her as far as alimony. And I'm not giving her a penny because she chose to stay home. And, you know, instead of doing that whole thing, we're going to send each person individually to go meet with a financial specialist. And then we're all going to meet together as a full team with that financial specialist after having seen kind of what he's gone through. And that financial specialist is going to walk us through the finances. This is an exhaustive list of all of the couple's assets, income, all of that, projections for the future, everything. I'm not a finance person. I'm not a numbers person. You don't want me doing that. You want me as your attorney. <laughs> you don't want me figuring out numbers. what is nope. in your financial <laughs> best interest. Like that is not who I am. And I mean, I can do it in traditional representation. I'll help you with the financial affidavits and we'll get there, but I can guarantee it won't be as good as if you do it with a financial specialist in the collaborative process. And that's Same. not to underplay myself, but attorneys are not magicians and we are not experts in all areas of life. That's not who we are. We are experts at advocating for our clients under the law. That's we have we law that. degrees, not and so finance degrees. Having that financial expert come in and talk to each of you. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. And it's a good thing. I am not a numbers person at all. And so, you know, having that financial neutral, be able to speak with both of you and gather all that information and come in. And if we need them to meet with the full team and go through a whole presentation and lay it out, in most cases, the couple together will look at those numbers. Once you see it in black and white, you can see what's happened in the past. You can see where you are currently. You can see the financial neutrals projections for moving forward, even based on different scenarios. If you've made those scenarios available to the financial neutral from the outset, seeing that in black and white, having already promised to be a rational and reasonable adult, most of our clients come to their own agreements there. Oh, shoot. Mm -hmm. I see that over eight years, you probably lost X amount of dollars and earning potential. And, and I did agree to that. And while I can't pay you all of that, I can't afford to, this is a reasonable amount. And I see that on black and white. I see how that would or would not affect me. I see how that would improve our children's living circumstances across both families, you know, because especially at the end of the day, if you have children, that doesn't end. You don't stop being a family when you get mm -hmm. divorced. No. You don't stop sharing children with your soon to be ex-spouse. You have to learn to run a family across two households instead of one. And that's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. So why make it harder than it has to be? Why not assemble a team of experts that can help you get to the very best possible result for your specific family? It's the same idea that we have behind mediation, except it's involved in the entire process from the beginning. And it is so, so powerful. You can tell by the way I talk, collaborative divorces are by far my favorite. Yes. <laughs> love them. They're just, I they're just healthier. Them. They're healthier all the way around. They're healthier emotionally. They're healthier financially. You can walk away feeling good. Yes. I, I mean, maybe not after every team meeting. Um, there will be frustrations. This is a divorce, but it's, it's a better way. It's a better way. Yes. And Stella, I think you touched on something really important that we haven't talked about yet. Why don't you tell them why this is financially healthy? 
to go the collaborative route as opposed to a traditional divorce? Yeah, so uh, the collaborative divorce process is a better choice financially as well. And I, but, but I think in order to des describe that, we have to talk about why the ways a traditional divorce is expensive, especially a traditional divorce that ends up in the courtroom. So it, we're like anybody else, you know, until you're a lawyer, you don't really know what a lawyer does day in and day out. But it's not just sitting down, hmm, I think I'll ask this question, or ooh, we better ask this question. That's not really part of it. The actual trial part of a court case, divorce or any other, there's, there's all these periods that you go through. You have to go through your discovery period. You have to go through your prep period. And we're talking hours, hours upon hours of time, at least, at least by an attorney who's doing their due diligence. <laughs> I should say that. And in most cases, people pay their attorneys hourly. Some people pay by flat fee retainer, but typically you're paying your attorney by the hour. And when I say we're talking hours, we are talking hours of preparation. It's not just the hour or half day trial of where you're in the courtroom in front of the judge. Prep for trial is intense, very intense. And it's not just the lawyer prepping the paperwork side of things and the questions. We prep our clients for trial of, of what questions they might be asked by the opposing side. There's um, exhibits that you often have to prep as well. Like it's, it's hours <laughs> and hours of time and it all adds up. And in the context of a family law case, of a divorce case, no divorce is cheap. We're not talking expensive and cheap here. We're talking more affordable and what's, what's financially healthy. Now with a collaborative divorce, it's not cheap. Like, again, don't think of this in terms of expensive and cheap. It's what you can afford and what is healthy for you. So in a collaborative divorce, you are paying for your attorney's time. You are paying for that divorce coach and you are paying for the financial coach as well. And if you have children, a child specialist isn't always called in for every case that involves children. They can be. And each one of those coaches, they are paid. So yes, um, you know, you, you will have fees associated with the collaborative process. But if you think about everything that we've already talked about and how Don explained the process and the roles of each person, what you walk away from, I mean, it's sort of an old adage, but you're getting the most bang for your buck. I mean, that's, that's a silly way to say this, but, you know, if you have to sit down and, and create and agree to an agreement, a divorce decree, you want you to have input and you want your input to be heard and you want your input to be weighed just as much as the input from your spouse, soon to be ex-spouse. That's what the coach is for. That's what your attorneys are for. And if you really can't come to an agreement on finances, that's what your financial person is for. So yeah, you might spend some money with a collaborative divorce, but you're walking away with a plan that is set up based off what you both want, what you both need, and what you've both agreed to. And you, at least in our experiences with collaborative divorces, the people who take the time to do all this and they invest in this type of divorce, life post-divorce is happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you, definitely. And I know, I know a lot of people might be thinking, well, of course, life post-divorce is happy. You wanted a divorce, you got a divorce, you're happy. You still have to interact with your ex, especially with children. You still have to parent. You still are involved. 
and it's not always happy, at least pertaining to that when it comes to dealing with your ex. Not every divorced person is happy, but with the collaborative divorce, by and by, people are happy. It's an investment. Yes, absolutely. And to add on that, you know, if you just think about it, in, in my experience, most collaborative divorces end up being at least a little bit cheaper than going to trial. But even if that's not the case, even if we're going to spend the exact same amount of money on trial or the collaborative process, and at the end of the day, we're going to come out with the exact same thing, a final stipulation that has rules for moving forward regarding custody, visitation, finances, the division of assets, all of that, right? Two processes that are run completely differently that might cost exactly the same amount of money and come out with a result that covers the same bases. Wouldn't you rather know that through that process, you've been as emotionally healthy as you can and that the money that you've spent on figuring out how to best divide your assets was given to a financial expert who combed through all of your documents and really came down to what's going to give you each the best tax advantage, what's going to set up your kids' education funds in the best way, what's going to be the very best disbursement of your 401ks, someone who really knows that instead of sending that money to your attorney to draft up some financial affidavit and, and see where it goes, right? And if you're arguing over, let's say, childcare or custody or some kind of alternative visitation arrangement, wouldn't you rather know that instead of spending money on your attorney's hourly fee to consider alternatives and come up with that and do some research, that you went to an actual child development specialist who was able to lay down in front of you what the potential long-term consequences of each of your options are for your children and walk you through the day-to-day. If you end up spending the exact same amount as you would at trial, isn't it better to spend that amount on experts who can help you be 100% sure at the end of the day that you have done what's best for your family so that you can move on running that family across two households in a healthy way, as opposed to fighting like little children in a courtroom. And I know that maybe it sounds um, downputting to say it that way, but honestly, if you can't agree from the beginning to be a rational, reasonable adult, and run the process that way, then you are acting like a child fighting in a courtroom. And a lot of people don't know that that option is available. And so I don't mean that to be a blanket statement about everyone who's ever gone to trial for a divorce. That's not what I mean. Absolutely, Dawn. That's an, that's an excellent way to describe it. So that's really all we have for today's uh, podcast. We uh, thank you for sticking around with us. Um, Like we said before, you know, this isn't, neither one of these are new mediation and collaborative divorce processes have been around, but um, it's not as well known as the traditional divorce. So if you find yourself with more questions, do not be afraid to get in touch with us. We're available on social media, the listening lawyers on Facebook, and you can always call our office 515-244-6546. We're happy to get in touch. We could talk about this all day. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us, guys. And we will be back again next week with another topic. 